0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to Livingston First Church. We're so glad you're joining us today. We really hope you're ready to hear a great message from the Word of God. So prepare your hearts, prepare your ears, and get ready to receive a blessing from the Lord. Be blessed. ...me as we honor the Word of God. Jesus, we thank you because you are the Word of God. We honor you because you are the... You are the written word. You're the spoken word. You are, you are the word, and the word is love. The word is, is a passion over us that we can't explain, we can't comprehend. And, Lord, as we stand in this place today, I ask that you would lead us and guide us into all truth. Lord, that I stand up here that I would not be seen, but that your words would be seen through me. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you that even in the direst of circumstances... You stand faithful. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And I pray, God, that today we would honor you by our lips, the things that we speak, and the motives of our heart in Jesus' name. Amen. James 1, 1 through 4, and then in verse 12, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sister, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And then in verse 12, it says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised those who love him. Jesus, we love you. You are the word. As we said before, you are the word and your word is powerful. Lord, lead my lips and guide our time in this place in Jesus name, you can be seated. As I was reading this, one thing that stood out to me was the fact that our trials are meant to perfect our faith. I can tell you all kinds of struggles and trials that I went through, temptations and, and things. And I realized that going through those, I found myself seeking him more than when I was seeking him in when I was on the mountaintop. And <clears throat> something that stood out to me when I read these passages in James, I actually was going to go to a different passage when I started looking. And uh, the thing that stood out to me was the word perseverance. You know, we live in a dark world. We live in a dark time. And he's saying, be patient, persevere. You know, he says, uh, when I looked that word up, perseverance, the thing that stood out to me was the the fact when I looked it up, how many times was that written? It was written 31 times in the New Testament. And it means in Greek, the word in Greek is hupamene, meaning in the, New, it means, uh, in the New Testament, this is the meaning of it. The characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his, celebra, or from his deliberate purposes and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. And as I, as I pondered that, I recognized the fact that we're supposed to actively seek opportunities actively seek opportunities in this world to share the gospel with people there's people that are lost and broken and i i can't help i look out at the war that's going on right now between russia and and uh ukraine and um and i think my gosh there's so many people right there that just don't know if they're going to be awake tomorrow but praise god if you're a believer you don't have to worry about tomorrow Because tomorrow is just a piece of eternity. God showed me a long time ago that when we take our last breath here in earth, on earth, it's as if we're walking through the door. It says, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And that if we believe in him, we don't have to worry. That walking, that believing in him, trusting in him, that we walk through him to the Father, into eternity. And he showed me, you know, when years and years ago when people were struggling, believing, you know, what happens if, if this happens, you know, when we, when the terrorist attacks and everything that happened, he was, you know, years later, you know, when people were being bombarded with terrorism and fear of terrorism, anxiety because terrorism, he was saying, you know, that, that when we take our last breath here, we take our first breath in heavenly places. He said that Jesus is the doorway. When we walk through Jesus, he said, it's not like you died. We look at death as, as a place of stopping point. But he said, it's a place of birth, that our death is a place to rejoice because we can see now that we're stepping into eternal life. And this is, this really is death, that our lives here are are just a, the beginning of what we do to transition into everlasting life. And I'm just grateful that, that God taught me that because, you know, John spoke last week about hope, 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 and I was just like, my gosh, I could listen to that. I really could have just played his sermon again, and you guys would have been blessed because it really needs to be listened to and heard several more times, but I took, I got to listen to it at home, and for 10 minutes, I listened and had to keep stopping, and I bet I wrote two pages of notes in 10 minutes, and I was like, this is powerful, but the place of hope when it feels like the world doesn't have it is just amazing. Um, Like I said, there's 31 times it's written about perseverance. And uh, I'm going to read a couple more, three more verses um, just to show you what it's talking about. It says, therefore, this is in Romans 5, one through four. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And then Romans 15, four says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scripture, in the scripture, in scriptures and the uh, encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And then uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 1, uh, 1, 3 through 7. uh, All praise to God, the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. God is merciful Father and source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the, same, or for the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even though we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things that we suffer. We are, we are uh, confident that you can share in our sufferings. You will also share in the comfort God gives us. Hmm. you know like I said standing in places where you're uncomfortable it seems to where God does the most work in you and through you and uh, you know probably four years ago or five Craig had asked me to stand up and, and speak on his behalf and fear rose up in me and spoke a larger word in me than, than the promise and the hope that God brings and I, I gave it a week and I told him I'd pray. And I, to be honest with you, if I, I think I prayed a, a, a minute prayer. It was just something simple. And I called Craig back and I said, no, I don't think I can do it. You know, and that broke my heart. And as I stand in this place today, I'm reminded that, uh, that he asked me and the second opportunity when John asked me, I said, yeah, I felt like I needed to do that not only in honor of God, but honor of Craig, because he had poured out so much in my life. He has poured out uh, years of, of time. I mean, how many times does a pastor give you his time? You know, I can't tell you how many times I had to meet with him at seven or 7.30 at night, and he talked with me like he didn't have a care in the world. And I know he was going through a lot of things and had everybody else's burdens on him, but he smiled and laughed and gave me the best advice and when I had that opportunity and he asked me, I said no, and I felt like there was such a deep burden in my heart that I let him down, and I know I didn't, because I felt like he knew that one day it would come. You know, as I talk today, I've got some stories that I'm going to share of, uh, of some people that have walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And standing in that place, they honored God. They didn't let fear Um, take a hold of them and that's the thing that stands out to me right now That is, the times in this world get darker and more evil am I ready to stand for the truth of the gospel in faith and say Lord whatever happens to me may it honor you that's things that's, that's what God has spoke to me he's been speaking that to me for for a couple of years probably. And uh, I was talking to a fella in here today that told me the same thing. He said, what's God been speaking to you? Stand up and speak it. That's what I feel like I'm doing. So uh, my point in, in speaking this to you is uh, whether we're in suffering, persecution, trials and even comfort. We should never be distracted from the purpose, God, for each of us personally. I think, you know, I, I was telling somebody, I tell people all the time that I see the, God, I see the, I see the Bible, I see the Scripture differently. Um, he showed me a vision a long time ago, and I won't go into it. Most of you have heard it. But he showed me at that point that when I see Scripture, when I read Scripture, to step into it. Not just to read the words, but to step into it, make it alive, because the word, it says the Word's live and active. It's living and it's powerful and he says to step in that's what he told me he said step into it and so when I step in I start reading I, I feel like I just pull the pages apart and I step in and I just I walk in it I look I look what's going on in the background I see what's going on in the crowd um he showed me how to uh look at the uh, the way that the the people that are speaking what they're going through and it's just amazing to me and so um there was a, a story, like I said, there's a few stories I'm going to read and I hope you're patient with me but I think they're uh, poignant for what God's trying to speak through me today. There was a man named John Harper. Um, I spoke about this to some friends at work and asked and nobody seemed to know who John Harper was but it was over 100 years ago. John Harper was a preacher in England. Um, he had given been given the opportunity to speak in at the Moody Church in Chicago and he said that you know, given the opportunity, he was going uh, to become their next pastor. The only problem was he got on the Titanic on the way here. He was a widower with a six-year-old daughter and they both got on the boat. And I'm going to read some of this because I don't want to miss it. It's too good. It says, when the Titanic hit the iceberg, Harper successfully led his daughter to the lifeboat. Being a widower, he may have been allowed to join her, but instead he forsook his own rescue, choosing to provide the masses with one more chance to know Christ. Harper ran person to person, passionately telling others about Christ. As the water began to submerge the unsinkable ship, Harper was then heard shouting, women, children, and the unsaved onto the lifeboats. Rebuffed by a certain man at the offer of salvation Harper gave him his own life as saying you need this more than I do Up until the last moment on the ship Harper pleaded with people to give their lives to Jesus The ship disappeared beneath the deep frigid waters leaving hundreds floundering in its wake with no realistic chance of rescue Harper struggled through hypothermia to swim to as many people as he could still sharing the gospel He eventually would lose his battle with hypothermia, but not before giving many more people one last glorious opportunity of a gospel witness. Four years after the tragedy at the Titanic Survivors Meeting in Ontario, Canada, one survival recounted his interaction with Harper in the middle of the icy waters of the Atlantic. He testified he was clinging to the ship debris when Harper swam up to him twice, challenging him with a biblical invitation to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He said he rejected the offer at first, but yet, given a second chance, with miles of water beneath his feet, the man gave his life to Christ. Then his harper succumbed to his watery grave. The new believer was rescued by the returning lifeboat. When the Titanic had set sail, let me see. Uh, as he concluded his remarks on the on the Ontario meeting of the survivors he uh, he simply stated "I'm the last convert of John Harper." I thought it was pretty a pretty neat thing at the very end it said um, before uh, before this voyage there was a there was three three known groups of people in that uh, that they would always have you know you'd have uh, like the high class, the low class, and then the no class. And uh, it said after this, uh, after this uh, encounter, and the story of John Harper started to uh, be told all the way around uh, the survivors, it says um, that there was only, that the white, what was it, the white, uh, I can't remember what, white star line in Liverpool Decided to make it two classes of people, known to be saved and known to be lost. I thought that was pretty powerful because, I mean, if we put ourselves in that position, we put ourselves in in that position, and I asked myself when I read that, I'm like, my gosh, if I was in that position, I would be looking at how can I get myself saved But as john was talking about it last week i knew i told when he was five minutes into the sermon i elbowed my wife and i said my gosh i said he's speaking on the same things that i'm gonna uh, that i'm planning on preaching about unless lord changes it and i don't feel like he's changed it i feel like he's just he's just made it more like i needed to i needed to do this um and so passion and the hope that, that rests in us as a believer, you know, so often we get caught up in, in me. And I, I think that God's saying that we don't need to be caught up in me. I think we need to get caught up in him and say, you know what? I'm willing to look foolish because he's going to call us to look foolish. I think he's going to call us to, uh, to stand out. And in this world today, the gospel looks like hate. I was telling somebody this the other day. Why does the gospel look like hate? Because the gospel, what Jesus proclaimed, is just the opposite of what the world lives like. And so, yeah, it looks like hate. But in reality, the world hates Jesus because they choose to live against his rules and the way that he he wants. I guess you could even say his heart. Hmm. I've got all kinds of notes. I'm sorry. I've got all kinds of things that God spoke to me. And I told her, I said, I went to Shiloh and I had three, three or four pages of notes. And I said, I never get off the first page. So um, just let God do what he does. Second Corinthians speaks about treat, being transformed from glory to glory. And as, as we do this, we're transformed into his image. And then I, I remember reading that one time and i was like, what's his image? You know, of course, we always think about what we, what he looks like, but he was saying it's not his image. We're transformed into his character. You know, in the character of Jesus, I I look at all these instances where he met people. He went to the lowest of the low. He went to the, the people that needed him most. He took his time when people needed him, even though he was on his way somewhere else. He stopped for the people that needed him. And that's what our goal is. That's what our goal should be as believers. That we go out into the world and transform it for the glory of the Lord. You know, I, I look at all the faces through here today and so many of you I've known for so many years and have planted seeds in me. And uh, so I'm just grateful for, uh, I remember what I was like when I first came here. Catherine, I met Catherine when I first, when I first moved here and uh, Dino and both. And it, it was funny to me because they, uh, I was looking for a house. I came here and we, we said, well, this is what we should do. And then I tried backing out and they said, well, let's pray. And I'm like, you do what? And I had never been, I, but it, it's funny. It's funny, but is it really funny? Because believers or non-believers alike are meant to be confronted with the gospel. And if you choose to deter, or to turn away from the gospel, that's on you. But there's power in it. You know, and if it wasn't for that one moment that in that time I look back and I say, that seemed really kind of weird and, you know, just a waste of time. But in in all reality, I look back, I still look back and I say, you know, that was the start of the first seed that was planted in me that wanted more. And so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for your time. In my life, I was... Uh, you know, I don't know how to, how else to put it other than say, you know, I was uh when I was a little kid, um, I had uh I had moved to a new school and uh I was small and skinny and and I was bullied and picked on. I remember being spit on and bullied and you know, and I thought, golly, this is this is awful, you know. And then I decided, you know, when I got older, I was, gonna, I was gonna do this and I was gonna do that. And I'm gonna prove to the world that I'm not who they thought I was. You know, and w- when the Lord started speaking in my heart, He said, you don't need to prove to anybody who you think you are. He said, prove to the world who I am and transform the world for the gospel. He said, and and step out of the way and let it work. Let the seeds that you sow be planted and let them grow. And you know, that was so opposite of what I thought I needed. I just, I felt like I needed to prove to the people of the world who I was. And I don't feel like I need to prove anything anymore. I'm grateful for the time that, that, uh, that God has changed my heart Josh Mews wrote a book, and this word just keeps raising up in me as I I read his new book, Called Out of the Fire. And he, you know, it just shows this place of perseverance. He said, the reality of heaven is that when we seek our own way, we lose our own lives, no matter how hard we seek to preserve it. The great paradox of the kingdom of God is that the more we're willing to lose ourselves and follow Jesus, the more we're willing to suffer or the more uh, our true self will find our true self in him. He said our, our calling first and foremost is the, is of knowing him and being known by him. And I can't help but think of what's our purpose. What is my purpose? The first thing I keep uh, that keeps coming to mind is don't get distracted because the world and its ways want us to be distracted. Get, get distracted by, um, well, I don't have enough money this week to pay this bill or that bill when we already know that he's, uh, he's our great provider. He's our Jehovah Jireh, you know? And then he said, "Fall deeper in love with me." Just goes right along with what you were praying or what you were singing, brother. I felt like you were singing your prayer to him. Fall deeper in love with him, and that's a daily process. That's something that we have to do daily. And then we, just like John preached last week, share the hope, especially filled this world filled with darkness and gloom and doom, and you know it's just. We're just going to have to give up. That's really what it seems like the news is telling you. Give up and take hold of what we're going to hand you because it's inevitable. But it's not inevitable because we know of a God that that is anti-inevitable. What's inevitable is when God speaks, it happens. It has to. Jackie Raglan asked me one time. It was in her class, and I've never forgot it. It said... Do you really believe that what you believe is really real? Do you really believe that what you believe is really real? You know, and that's something that it's simple, but my gosh, if you really take time to ask yourself that question, do I really believe that what I believe is really real? Because John Harper believed it. He knew that this world was just here and it was gone that eternity rests in Christ. And that when trials and tribulations, suffering, whatever it looks like that stands before you, it's always about Jesus. Just give the world Jesus. Doesn't matter what it looks like for me. know as I was thinking about Russia and I was thinking about Ukraine and what's going on and I looked up uh, I just and I hate numbers my wife will tell you I hate numbers and uh, I told Eleanor one time I'm a firm believer that numbers and letters should never mixed should never mix it's just the way my mind works you give me a tape measure I'll make it work but the other stuff just Get it out, out of the window. Um, but I was looking up these, uh, all these numbers. And this is from Christianity Today. It said in 2001, 68 Christian churches were burned in Canada. Every day, this is in 2001, remember. Every day, 13 Christians worldwide. Every day, 13 Christians worldwide were killed, which was 1,000 more than the year before. That's 4,745 people. Every day, 12 churches or Christian buildings were attacked. Every day, 12 Christians worldwide are being unjustly arrested, imprisoned, and another five abducted. In the 50 most persecuted nations, approximately there's approximately 309 million Christians. And as I was reading this, I was like, how in the world when you look at the most it says these are the the most persecuted, the most severe persecuted areas. There's three hundred and nine million professing Christians. And I thought, how, how? How can people stand in the midst of persecution, midst of great tribulation, trials, and suffering, knowing that at any minute God could do whatever. We know that he can do whatever he's going to do, but people could take you off this earth. And I couldn't help but think, my gosh, Lord, my eyes have to be on you at every turn. I have to be, having, I have to be focused on you. I can't be uh, struggling on the, on the world. I can't be struggling with me. I've got to have my eyes on you. I've got uh, a couple more things I'm going to read. Um, but I think it's... Uh, just kind of goes right along with what I'm, what I'm speaking today. And I think that our testimony, not only the word, we can look at the word and we can, uh, we can see how people are persecuted and people have gone through some trials and suffering in their life. But it seems so far away. But what happens when we get to today? We get to uh, people that are suffering today and their story. This is uh, these are. I remember years ago Craig had given I know I revert to Craig but Craig has been instrumental in my life and so uh, I'm just he, I remember he had read something out of this book one time and told me about it and I've just been I go ahead I, I grab a hold of it and I read it, it's about persecution it's about a church, It's about the church it's about the people that, we, that I've just talked about, these nations of severe persecution and the heart of the people that are sold out in the midst of it. It's called uh, the insanity of God. And uh, I hope you're patient with me as I read. It says, "There uh, there were other pastors, this is in Russia and Ukraine, kind of funny that I found one in here about Russia and Ukraine, but it says, there were other pastors who never really had a choice about whether they would live. In arresting them, the authorities essentially decided that these pastors were gonna die. Their only choice at that point was deciding whether they would die honoring their faith and their Lord or deny his name. Today, the churches in Russia and Ukraine remember those who stood strong. By honoring that faithfulness, believers endure, endeavor to, uh, to value the painful lessons learned under persecution. One question came to my mind often. How did so many Russians and Ukrainians keep their faith strong over decades of communist oppression of believers? The professional researcher in me wanted to discover simple, practical, measurable, and objective answers to that question. But I wasn't only a professional researcher. I was also a still grieving father. I was a wounded, would-be healer, and I was a failed relief worker who had been helplessly, or, uh, helplessly watched thousands of starving people die. You know, and as I read, read that, I couldn't help but think, you know, we can always look at the things in our life where I've fallen short, Where have I fallen short in my life? Where have I, um, the things of my past? I think Satan wants to point at your past so that you can, so he can use those against you. But I remember he showed me in a vision one time that there was a storm that was raging behind me. I didn't look back at the storm. I didn't look at the storm, but I could tell that the waves were were big and that the storm was dark. And he said, don't look back there. It's not, the storm isn't meant for you to look back at. The storm is behind you for a reason. And I remember looking forward and the water was glass and it was blue skies. And he was saying, if you continue to just seek me and look forward, what's behind you stays back there. And so I'm just, uh, that was something that stood out to me. So he says, uh, so he goes and he starts asking these people for, uh, you know, he starts interviewing some of the most persecuted people. And he says, I remember the day like it was yesterday, Nick. This is one of the guy's uh, uh, stories. He said, my father put his arms around me and my sister and my brother and guided us into the kitchen or sit around the table where he could talk with us. My mama was crying, so I knew that something was wrong. Papa didn't look at her because he was talking directly to us. He said, "Children, you know that I'm a pastor of our church, and that's what God's called me to do. To tell others about him, I have learned that the communist authorities will come tomorrow to arrest me. They'll put me in prison and because they want me to stop preaching about Jesus, but I can't do that. I can't stop preaching. I have to obey God." I'll miss you very much, but I trust, but I will trust God to watch over you while I'm gone. He said, I, he hugged each one of us. Then he said, all around this part of the country, the authorities are rounding up, uh, rounding up believers, followers of Jesus and demanding that they deny their faith. Sometimes when they refuse, the authorities will line up their whole families and hang them by the neck until they're dead." I don't want that to happen to our family, so I'm praying that once they put me in prison, they'll leave you and your mom alone. However, and here's where he paused, and he made eye contact with us. If I'm in prison, and I hear that my wife and my children have been hung to death rather than denied Jesus, I'll be the most proud man in that prison. I can't help but ask myself, if I'm, am I there? You know, I read stuff like this, and I look at it, and I'm like, I, I look at myself. Am I there? I want to be. I pray that Lord will help me to be there. But am I there? I can't say that with a, whole, with a full heart. He said when he finished telling the story, I was stunned. I'd never heard that kind of thing in my church growing up. I had never encountered that in my pilgrimage. I was sure that I had never even been told that my father should value his his faith over his family. Almost immediately, though, I caught myself and I thought some biblical examples of that very thing. I guess that's part of our story, I silently concluded. But it's part of that story that we have kept very hidden. This was one more thing that sounded insane to me. Is this really the way that God intends for his people to live? And am I, so, am I certain, am I so certain about the resurrection that I would actually be willing to live that way and maybe even willing to die that way? Let me read that again. Am I so certain about the resurrection that I would actually be willing to live that way and maybe even die that way? He says, and this is another, uh, he says he asked another person, another time he asked a, uh, another question. <clears throat> he said, how did, how did you learn to live like this? And the man responded this way. I remember when my parents gathered our family together and my father said, children, all of this, all over this district, the communist authorities are slowly starving to death people, uh, believers who refuse to deny their faith. If our family has to starve to death for Jesus, then let us do so with joy. What was I to do with this story, he said. I could only imagine what that experience, what the words of that father had meant to that family. And, I'm reali- and then I realized that uh, I remember my dad telling me when I was a little kid about a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I had never heard many stories growing up, biblical stories that, that I could hang on. But I remember, and my dad never told me a lot of stories, biblical accounts or anything like that, but I remember that I never forgot that story. And when I grew up and I became a follower, I thought, my dad, even though he never told me many biblical stories or accounts of the Bible, I recognized the fact that there's power in a father's words. There's a power in the father to be the father, the the leader the head of their household. And my father told me that story. I never forgot it. And I remember when I grew up and I started reading my Bible and I said, I want to find that story. I want to read it again. There was something in me that wanted to hear that again. And so as fathers, we need to remember who we are, you know, and who we represent, especially to our children at home and our wife at first. He says uh, that, let me see here. He says, how did so many Russian-Ukrainian believers remain strong in their faith through almost a century of communist oppression? How did they learn to live and die like, that, like they did? Time and again, I heard the same words. We learned it from our mothers, our grandmothers, and our great-grandmothers. We learned it from our fathers, our grandfathers, and our great-grandfathers. And as my time in Ukraine was drawing to a close, I recalled the final days in Russia, especially the conversion conversation when I had told uh that when i was told about the persecution that it was just as normal as the sun coming up in the east i wondered if my ukrainian friends would have the same view of the persecution i was with yet another group of believers listening to the stories of the prison persecution and god's provision of his people once again i was struck by the powerful testimonies and the stories that i was hearing as we came to the end of this time together i asked I just don't understand why you haven't collected the stories in the book. Believers around the world ought to hear the stories that you're telling me here today. The world ought to hear what you have been telling me here today. Your stories are amazing. These are inspiring testimonies. I've never heard anything like them. An old pastor reached out his hand, took me by the shoulder. He clamped his other hand tightly on my arm and looked me in the eye. He said, son, when did you stop reading your Bible? All of our stories are in the Bible. God has already written them down. Why should we bother writing books to tell our stories when God has already told his story? If you just read your Bible, you would see that our stories are there. He paused and then he asked me again, when did you stop reading your Bible? Without waiting for me to answer, he turned and walked away with no friendly smile, no encouraging pat on the back and no kiss on the cheek. His convicting question still echoes in my mind. I can't help but think when I read something like that, you know, we we think that the persecution that happened in the Bible was 2,000 years ago and it quit because we live in our own happy bubble. And we do, but I believe as the world gets darker, we're gonna have to stand for something. There's an old country song that says something in the lines, you have to stand for something and you'll fall for anything. And I believe that's just as poignant today as it ever has. Are you going to stand for the truth and the gospel? Are you going to stand for the word? Or are you going to walk when the things get tough? You know, some of the, the most amazing stories came to me. Um, I was talking to Jackie one time and I'll try to finish quickly. But I remember talking to Jackie Ragland. She was dealing with breast cancer and lost all of her hair, and um, she was dealing with some. I knew she wasn't feeling the best. But every time I would ask her how are you doing, she'd look at me and smile, and she said, "I'm blessed." She was speaking not from what she felt, but what from, from what she knew. I'm blessed. You know, we've Pastor Phil always say, "Blessed and highly favored." You know, that's who we are. We've got his name written on us. We've got our stamp of approval because we're children of God. And we have the power to do the things that Jesus said that he's given us the power to do. You know, as the dark gets closer, he has given us the power to extinguish the darkness and to bring a light into this world. So I ask you a few questions. Somebody asked me one time, what's the mark of a good disciple? And after waiting a week, he answered the question by saying, one who asks questions. So I ask you these questions to leave you this week to ponder on. Where are you today? Is the word of God for you worth standing for? And is it worth dying for? Passive Christianity has to go. And we have to stand in a world that doesn't want to get rid of passive Christianity because it's comfortable. But passive Christianity does not do anything that builds the church, it just lulls them to sleep. So are you ready to confront passive Christianity? And are you willing that if your faith shall cost you something, are you willing to step in whatever it looks like and say, yes, Lord, as Isaiah said, Pick me. You want to come back up here? Mm-hmm. As, we, uh, as we close and go to a place of uh, some more worship, I just, uh, the, the altar's open. It's open for, for whatever your needs are. It's not just a place of saying, Lord, I need to be saved because I hope you're already saved. But this goes deeper. As a disciple, we've been called to a a deeper call into this world. Are you willing to go out into this dark world and make disciples? Are you ready to honor Jesus by your faith, by your actions, by your deeds, and by your heart? If there's anything up here, anything that you want to... uh, Just say, you know what, Lord, I lay it down. I've got so much that I'm hanging on to and I just need to lay it down because I'm not sure I'm ready. I'm not sure I'm ready to stand in that place of giving it all up for you yet. There's an opportunity for you to lay it down up here. We've got elders, leaders in the church that that are willing to pray with you. So if you're ready to lay it down, there's an opportunity thanks so much for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that the Holy Spirit truly ministered to you through this message from the Word of God. If you'd like to know more, look us up at livingstonfirstchurch.com or follow us on social media and we look forward to seeing you in person soon.